Welcome to the Conversations with Connexus podcast, a series of cerebral and thought-provoking discussions with experts across a range of fields relevant to fiduciary investing for a dignified retirement. Connexus Financial is a purpose-driven publisher with three digital media mastheads producing insightful content as podcasts, prose, and live events. You can subscribe to the commentary at each of them by visiting investmentmagazine.com.au, professionalplanner.com.au, and top1000funds.com. Please enjoy this episode of Conversations with Connexus. Good afternoon and welcome. Welcome to Redefining Leadership, Episode 1. It's a pleasure to have you here. There's around 720 of you joining us live this afternoon around Australia. My name is Colin Tate, and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Connexus Financial, owners of Professional Planner and Investment Magazine. I'd also like to pay special mention to all those who are currently working the front line around Australia, our healthcare workers, particularly in Victoria. We are in a very troubled world. We have fires being fought on every front of humanity like no time ever in our living lifetimes. This series has been created to look at what will get us through this period of COVID-19 and beyond into more prosperous times. I say we need to redefine leadership and we need to look to around the world to a new kind of leadership in business, in politics, in, sp- in the spiritual world, in all everywhere you look, we need new leadership. So we're gonna redefine that over these next months and hope that that provides you with some comfort at home as you do your work and at work, as you do your work, very important work in the financial industry across financial planning and superannuation. I'm thrilled to, to have our first guest here. Our first guest is Damien Mu, the CEO of AIA Australia and New Zealand. He employs, employs 3,400 people. He turns over many billions of revenue a year. Remarkably, in 2020, their business is up 9.7%, an outstanding achievement in very difficult circumstances. Most importantly, Damien's business is responsible for ensuring the lives of millions of Australians and New Zealanders. It's my great pleasure to introduce one of the the country's youngest large company CEOs. Please welcome Damien Mew. G'day, Damien. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Colin, and uh, great to be here with you. So let's start, Damien, at the beginning. And my first topic is selfless leadership. I'd like to know a little bit about your ancestry and who in your formative years were the leaders that mattered to you most. Thanks, Colin. And um, yeah, uh, it's my background. That's an interesting one. I'm obviously born and blessed in Australia, but um, I uh, come with a interesting background my mother was sri lankan my father was half chinese half burmese um, but as i said i was born in uh, uh, born in aussie and um, you know you talked about leaders um, i talk about heroes and angels as well and uh, there are many that come into your life and i guess my first real hero and leader that i looked up to but didn't know it at the time was my grandmother and she was the one who brought us from sri lanka to australia uh, where i was then born um, and she left a pretty affluent life, but uh, she did that in service leadership of our family to give us a better life. And uh, we're all greatly indebted for that. And she came out here and um, for the next 25 years, worked in a factory in Dandenong. Uh, and I remember getting up very early in the morning to get the train and she never asked for anything, Colin. And that was what was so special about it. It was just, she was just committed to what was in the best interest of uh, our family and um taught me what um, having a purpose was all about. And I think we were very blessed. Was that the core of your values, having a purpose and giving for giving to others? Yeah, look, I think, um, uh, look, I, I was, as I said, I didn't really know it at the time, but I was getting my greatest lessons in leadership uh, through the family environment. There was uh, three, you know, the, the three families, my grandmother, my aunt and my uncle and my mum and my dad. And, uh, my mum was my mum. My aunt was, I called her Mim because it sounded like mum. And then I had my grandmother and, um, you know, that it, it was amazing to see just how um, having a, a common purpose, which was, you know, to give our family a better life. Everyone just did what they had to do. And, um, 
you know that wasn't always smooth sailing but um uh but but we we supported one another and um i i got to experience firsthand what people can do when they work together towards a common outcome and, and put others first selfless leadership as you say so you mentioned uh, you have uh, uh, you're a bit of a bitzer, um, uh, no real clear papers. Uh, you've got Chinese, uh, Burmese, Dutch, Portuguese, Sri Lankan um, in your bloodstream. Uh, when did yeah. you first encounter racism, and how did that shape who you are today in terms of your uh, empathy? Yeah, Colin, it's um, it, it actually. <laughs> taught me a lot. And um, as I said, I was very blessed to be born and and, and being an Australian, who, which I'm so proud of, um, and my kids are too. Um, but it wasn't until 10 years old that I didn't realise I wasn't white because <laughs> I'd just grown up in, 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 in Australia with my friends and, and everything was great. And, you know, I was playing cricket like everyone else, playing football, going to school. And then one day um, uh, I realised... Uh, that racism really doesn't is is blind because the friends I was with were making fun of someone else who looked like me, and it was okay to do that. But actually, I just sort of stopped and went, "Hang on a second, that doesn't feel right." And actually, that person looks like me. Um, uh, and so it was at that point in time when I recognised uh, that these things existed. And then on the sporting field. You know, back then it was just accepted. I remember being called very um, challenging names, even as a 12-year-old, 14-year-old, 16-year-old, but it just was sort of accepted then. And it was, it's just not names, right maybe? and it shouldn't be accepted. What kind of names? Um, well, Colin, the best part was, I, I, because I was a bit so, it was a bit confusing for people. So they didn't know whether to call me this, um, uh, uh, the B word, um, the dim sim, the you know, get out of here, you, this, you know, there was, it's pretty confronting, but you know, Colin, I was, I didn't let that get me down um, at this point in my life. It actually affects me more when I see it happening to others. I, I actually uh, felt like it was something that, you know, gave me more reason to succeed and, and to be better and actually not in a fighting or a negative way. In fact, a way that made me more determined to be accepted um, as, for who I was and and to integrate, but that I guess you know being very open and sharing here, what it taught me was um, that you know you need to build a resilience and and that um, leadership is a privilege and a responsibility, and unfortunately many leaders in our whether it's our community our society think of it as an authority or a position and abuse it as opposed to you know honouring it and um, uh, yeah but um, it taught me some great skills Colin. Right. I mean, you know, I had to learn how to integrate and how to, um, you know, uh, endear myself to many different parts of society uh, to, to be accepted and to succeed in some ways of being accepted. So but, um, you know, you put that together with my, and, and my, my, some people used to call it, uh, you know, I developed a, a bit of a knack for a disease to please. And then you combine that with a hard work ethic, ethic that I'd learned. And it's a pretty powerful combination, but it was one that became very tiring, Colin, and actually one that ended up being a core pillar of strength around my and a positive of my leadership. It also became a shadow for me in my leadership because it uh, it was a uh, it was actually uh, a tiring um, a tiring uh, pursuit where you're trying to you know, imagine trying to think look to please everyone. You just can't do that. And actually, the only person you're not pleasing is yourself, which is the core pillar of then being a better leader, because if you can be healthy and well, you can be better for others. So I can see, I can see really that as a, as a, uh, as a, as a, as a wonderful attribute and a, a great way of compensating uh, a very hurtful, painful period. But as you also point out, Damien, that then becomes an obstacle being a people pleaser or, or being desperate for people to like you and, and running um, your life as a leader in, in, in being that. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Donald Trump doesn't seem to share that. Um, maybe a little bit of that for him might, might help. But um, how, what did you eventually do to overcome that, that? That leadership for you is now a balance between being empathetic uh, and caring and wanting to be appreciated and liked, but at the same time being able to separate that from uh, I, it is what it is and, uh, and I'm the leader and I need to sometimes make hard decisions and so on. Mm. Yeah, the first, I mean, our first thing is actually, is back to purpose again, Colin, and, and having a purpose. 
Um, and I'm blessed and privileged to have uh, so many wonderful people who share a common purpose around making a difference in people's lives. We are the army of mad and we are relentless in that dream of helping people live healthier, longer, better lives. And what I always come back to, you've got to ground yourself in that purpose, right? And, you know, when um, I call it, you know, you have to be enthusiastic and you have to have big dreams and believe in those dreams. But I think that the issue for me was how I overcome that was to, to, um, to acknowledge the feelings I had around it and to not try and excuse it or, feel guilty about it. It wasn't my fault and not take it on board, which is what I used to do, uh, which was, okay, there must be something wrong with me. Um, uh, or, uh, what have I done wrong? Um, I'm different. I'm whatever. And that was very painful to being able to turn that on to, as I said, moving from that disease to please to actually being really comfortable in my own skin. And that was about finding out who I was, um, what my values were, um, and knowing that I could control, what I could control. And that was that, you know what, I was going to go out there with just and do the best I could and be the best person I could be and do the right thing. And if people didn't like that, then, you know, that, that wasn't my issue. And so, you know, I developed a bit of a thing, you know, um, number one, am I operating from my principles and my values 100% of the time, not some of the time, 100% of the time. Second thing is, you know, have I done my best? Because that's all you can do in life. And then the third one was um, the most difficult one is to challenge yourself personally. Is this about me or the greater good? And and if you can't get a tick on all three of those, and I just do it unconsciously and very quickly, just a, an unconscious checklist, um, then if you're good on those, then go forth, right? And have the confidence because, uh, you know, when you're given, given command, take charge and, and lead, but do the right thing. So leadership is a privilege and a responsibility. And right now what we need is decisive, strong leadership, um, but it's got to be both caring and demanding. You know, I think we've seen enough of the demanding part of leadership. We need the caring element to come through. And um, so Colin, how I overcame it was to use it as a energy of, um, turn that negative energy into a positive energy to drive me and to uh, rise above it and to, um, and, and to make sure I made an absolute genuine commitment to myself to never, uh, to, you know, do better than what was done to me. So we're going to jump forward a little bit to uh, leadership today and leadership, the future. And in between times, we're going to take audience questions. So there's 720 plus very bright people out there that have signed on for this live session. Uh, and we've dedicated 15 minutes of the one hour, uh, directly for you and your questions. So please refresh your browser by pressing F5. Refresh your browser, F5, and you'll see on the right-hand side the place to ask your questions. And our producer of this series and this segment, uh, Lawrence, is sitting here with me in the studio and we'll, uh, we'll uh, cull those questions and put them into some kind of resemblance of order uh, and we'll be coming to those in just a little bit. If you've just joined this program live or on playback, uh, my name is Colin Tate. I'm the CEO and the founder of Connexus Financial, and we're looking at redefining leadership. Redefining leadership suggests that the leadership we have right now needs something bigger, stronger, better, different in the world that we're in and going forward. In a COVID-19 world, in a world of disrupted global social cohesion, where the social contract arguably around the world is fraying, where the environment is falling off its cliff, where we've got political problems and, and, uh, and tensions all around the world, issues of race and so on and so forth. With that background, my first guest today is Damien Mew, the CEO of Australia and New Zealand for AIA Insurance. AIA is the largest life insurer in Australia and New Zealand and has 3,400 employees. Damien is one of the youngest CEOs in Australia and he's with me now. We're talking to Damien about his family and uh, it's gonna be quite an intimate personal conversation. He's uh, in the prep call, has given me permission to go anywhere and nothing is off limits. Um, we're just talking about race just now and the impact of race. And, uh, and, and, and I just wanna stay with that theme for a moment, uh, Damien, because uh, we have, we're a long way from having dealt with race. It's very clear in this country, uh, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement here, elsewhere around the world, obviously in the United States. Uh, tell us about what happened recently uh, with your daughter. You're married with a couple of children, your daughter in kindergarten. Yeah, um, Colin, again, um, you know, I, 
it's never okay, right? There's no justification for any type of racism. It's just, it's not, it's like there's, you can't, uh, doing the right thing isn't some of the time, it's all the time, right? Um, so I just want to make that clear from my perspective. But I do think that, um, that there is, what you've got to get under the cover on is intent. And, you know, so so for me, as I mentioned, I had some some incidences growing up, but, uh, but my daughter- Just move that mic a little further uh, in front of your mouth, my, my friend. Just move the mic a little closer to your mouth. Sorry, sorry Colin. Uh, maybe I got a little bit uh, vulnerable there and maybe started mumbling a little bit because you mentioned my daughter, Bailey. But uh, yeah, that that's the bit where it, it hit me more is when uh, my heart broke when my daughter, Bailey, was four and went to kinder and she came home and she asked, why she was brown and then kept raising this question about why am I dark because in mummy, why am I brown? And, um, you know, we uncovered sadly that uh, this poor innocent other little child at, at kindergarten had said to Bailey in front of a couple of her friends, um, don't, don't hold Bailey's hands. She's brown. And, you know, that for a four year old is obviously devastating, but for a father was very difficult. Uh, that took all my Zen uh, to, you know, um, to breathe and relax because it, it affected me in a far greater way than anything that happened to me personally. Um, but then, um, you know, what I did was back to after having taken a few breaths and, and taken that uh, on was, you know, I was actually reflected on my experience and said, you know what, this is life. It's not okay. It's never okay. So I'm never going to explain to Bailey, you sh it's okay and say, hey, don't worry about it. But what I was okay with is that, you know, we, it helped me to channel into a positive energy. And so we had the conversation about, you know, what a great moment. That was a, a great moment for me to be able to help Bailey build a resilience and a uh, positive attitude that will help her later on in life. And so rather than take the angry route, we took the high ground after I breathed. And um, we, we, we looked at it as a, a great moment where she learned to love herself. And actually, you know what? We then went to the kindergarten and they were fantastic. And they then um, actually did a lot of books and a lot of conversations about the differences in people. And I think education is really important on that. We shouldn't just assume everyone gets it. So let's go with um, another tough subject. And I'm going to ask you this question, uh, Damien, because it's, uh, it's, it's my view, at least, that uh, our childhood has so much to do with what forms the basis of our, our person, our being, uh, and certainly our leadership and who we come as adults. Uh, you were, uh, you've already mentioned that um, you were raised by mostly uh, your grandma and then it's obviously your mother and, uh, and you had a stepfather that was very uh, fundamental in your life. Uh, unfortunately, your biological father disappeared fairly early uh, in your childhood. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And moreover, again, how that impacted you as a leader and whether you're, how are you still trying to resolve that matter uh, with your with your natural dad? Yeah, um, so I think, you know, first thing is I was blessed to grow up in a house full of love. My grandmother, my mum, my aunt, man, and they had some fun with me because um, I was the firstborn and I was uh, of the grandchildren, I was a boy and, you know, they were very strong women and they used to dress me up and um, uh, take photos and have a lot of fun and it was great. And I just, you know, learned so much from them. And then, yes, you're right. My father left very early on. I think I, I don't even have really any memories of when I was a baby, but uh, he came back into my life um, and, and he went and lived in another country. But my stepfather uh, was was really, you know, became my, my father. And uh, from the time I was sort of five, uh, he was really the, the major influence from that perspective in my life. And uh, I didn't know any different. And, he, and uh, but yeah, how did I deal with it? I guess I felt uh, I didn't, I, I sort of kept it under the covers for a long time. But um, the reality was, Colin, um, I, uh, you know, like any kid, I guess you felt rejected and you didn't understand why. But I think the most difficult part for me as a kid, and this is something I would say is that that uh, was um, the emotional uh, 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 sort of, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? But um, the, uh, yeah, the, 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 the tug of war between the two parents, you know, you felt like you were sort of responsible a little bit, bit there. But um, look, I mean, uh, Actually, again, uh, my my real father and I um, used to get along fine, and then we sort of drifted for a long time. And actually, you know, I just sort of learned to sort of 
get over that, forgive him and wish him the best. I just want him to be happy. I wanted him to be happy, others to be happy. And I'd got on with life and uh, yeah, but at the time it was one of rejection for, but it didn't, you know, but it, I didn't really express it that way. And uh, yeah, you sort of felt like you were, you know, um, emotionally sort of caught up in a bit of a tug of war for a while there. We've got so many questions here. We're not going to get through most of them. And I've got plenty coming from the audience as well. But let me ask you one more on your, on your, your history before we move into the, the section on, on you now as, as a leader. And I want to spend plenty of time on the future uh, and, and, yeah. and how that can, that can look uh, and leave, leave some positive messages with this audience. Um, so I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to drop a couple of questions that we talked about the other day, unfortunately. But um, I really want to know about the age gap between uh, yourself and your, your siblings. There was, you know, a 10, year, 10 years younger as your your sister and 16 years younger than that, you have twin brothers. So I, I imagine you're almost like an uncle or a father figure uh, for, for your own siblings, especially your brothers. Again, did that have you mature beyond your years? Is, you know, how, what, what was the impact to you as a leader? Again, you, you're the youngest mm. ever CEO of a top 100 company. So mm. I'm just wondering if that had an interplay. I'm, I'm not sure that is the correct, correct or not, but um, the, 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 what I would say is, um, you know, yes. So growing up in a family with a number of a very close family, but a number of families living together and, and therefore being together very closely, I grew up with a lot of my uncles and aunts who were really like my friends who were older than me. So, but also, um, you know, uh, oh, we, we were really lucky, but as I said, my stepdad was like one of my heroes, right? My mum was as well. They all worked really hard. My stepdad would do a cleaning job in the morning, work, during the day and then study at night and you know so sometimes i'd be in primary school going to school but you know he'd have to wake me up and take me cleaning with him to get the job done in time and then <clears> i would cry and you know be all upset that i had to go along and do these things uh, but you know you sort of got into uh, you got some lessons pretty early in life about the importance of responsibility work you know um take uh, taking on uh, accountability for you know doing things like a job um uh, and then growing up with those people. But yes, then when my, there was myself, and then of course, you know, there was a big gap between myself and my sister because my parents got on and had to sort of earn a living and uh, financially set themselves up. And 10 years later, Kirsty came along and uh, she was awesome. But yes, she was, I, I just, you know, had someone to pour out a lot of love on and uh, look after and um, it was great. Uh, but, but you're right, I took a very different relationship on with her. And then my brothers who are hugely talented, um, they're still at home with my mum. They're never leaving. Um, they got it too good, and they're 16 younger years younger. But it did. It did. It felt more like uncle um, relationships, parent relationships, than actually a brother relationship. If that makes sense. But I'm so proud of them, and they're awesome. Great answer, and you give great answers. Uh, but I have to, I'm going to speed this up because there are, uh, we've got so many, so much to get through. We need two hours with you, maybe not mm -hmm. one. Um, but look, let's move on to uh, your current role uh, as leader today. And in particular, do you remember your first ever major decision when you became CEO? Um, oh my gosh, Colin, there's so many decisions you have to make, uh, major decisions. I think the, the first uh, major decision, what was it? Well, yeah, probably, uh, you know, first major decision was one you didn't even share with anyone. It was a question you ask yourself, you know, what leader am I going to be? You know, and I think that's, I actually want to stop on that for a second, Colin, because I think this is part of the issue is leadership is a phenomenal word, isn't it? You know, and we love words, but words are very powerful. And what we need to do is really define what do those words mean and interpret them for people. So for me, as I said, leadership at that point in time, I had to make a decision. Was leadership really about this power or authority that I was going to get to, uh, you know, have some fun and, you know, do cool things, and I don't mean it like that. I'm not being literal, uh, but sometimes, or sometimes. was it? Yeah, uh, we have fun and we do some cool things. To, I know, but you know what I mean. The question I had to ask myself, or was it actually going to be this thing, this this privilege and responsibility that I thought leadership was, and I was I going to honour that, and how was I going to manifest myself in terms of that leadership because it has impact on people, right? I always talk to people about it. Been, I'll give an example. When you're a team leader, I remember being. You know, my first job was in the mail room at Colonial and um, and then I got the opportunity to be a senior where a couple of people reported to me and I was like, 
wow, do you know the responsibility you take on? You could shape that person's life, whether you give them the confidence because of the way you talk to them, whether they get the little promotion or the opportunity to go for another job. These are fundamentally, might seem little, but they're massive building blocks for their future of the person's confidence, their family outcomes. So, um, you know, the the major decision I made, Colin, was that I was going to do my best to honour leadership as a responsibility and a privilege. And uh, would you say uh, you're into the micro, the macro, are you a fun leader, are you a serious leader, or do you encompass all of those things? Uh, Colin, I think, um, you know, we leaders today need to be able to move right through that spectrum. I think the most important thing is also recognizing that, um, you know, you make many decisions that you get wrong. Uh, but what I try to do is declare my intent. And as I said, I sort of have that compass of those three things, values and principles have I done my best and is it about me or the greater good because you need a you need to be able to make you know decisive leadership in a world that's changing constantly like what we're seeing now is really important but caring and demanding is as well um so so for me um you know I I would say I'm more of a field marshal than a ivory tower leader I just love getting amongst it what was your first big mistake when you became CEO do you remember one, yeah, the one you I wish it, no one never knew about, or maybe they still don't, or the one that you really wish you could rewind. Oh no, I don't. I don't think you rewind mistakes. I mean, I, 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 there's things I regret in my life naturally, um, uh, but I try to learn from them. I've, bringing reflection into my life has probably been probably the biggest um, uh, tool as a leader that I've been having because it can be pretty lonely, and you get lots of help from lots of heroes or angels mentors, bosses um, that come along in your life. But the the most important one is also to be able to have a reflection capability and a reflection skill. But the biggest one I probably made was Colin thinking that I was Superman and I could do it all. Um, and, you know, that uh, I could run at 150 miles forever and never get tired. And I didn't need any, you know, like, you know, I, I could do it all myself if I had to. What a mistake. What a mistake. What a mistake. So uh, there's 3,400 people that you lead. Um, I can't get my head around that. That's such an extraordinary large number of people. Uh, what are your guiding principles when it comes to leading them? And if I were to check in with uh, the senior people at AIA, how would they categorise you as a leader? Oh, you'll have to ask them. Uh, what I will tell you is uh, this is um, I try to have a purpose-led leadership style, which is to help people to, um, you know, help us to rally around a purpose and a dream. And our purpose is to make a difference in people's lives. And we really rally around being part of the army of mad. Um, and I'm a member of that. And and a, and a dream of champion Australia and New Zealand to, have the, to be the healthiest nations in the world. And, um, you know, to have the dream of a healthier, longer, better life. I think people would say I run hard. I've got that, you know, I do create a very inspire, inspiring sort of vision at times, but, you know, um, sometimes I can run too fast. And so what I've been trying to do is live life slower and uh, make sure that, uh, you know, the excitement that I can hopefully create around that dream, you know, people are still all the way on the journey with me and that I'm sure it's not my dream, it's our dream. You know, that's that's the important part. But what they will tell you is I... I try, I try to bring in an element of both caring and demanding. And so, Colin, you know, I have on my wall, um, you know, this, the, you know, sort of reminders and I keep the Spartan code with me and I keep the Native American Ten Commandments code. And that's really how I define purposeful leadership at AA. We try to be caring and demanding. You know, we want to care for one another, care for our community, you know, um, rest- lead with respect. Um, and honour, but also, um, you know, if we are serious about our dream and our purpose, we've got to demand more of ourselves to be the bit, continually improve and, you know, give our best and, and not get complacent. So it's bringing those two together. But hopefully they tell you that I'm with them shoulder to shoulder. That's what I'd love them to do, that I walk the talk and I'm shoulder to shoulder. That that would be nice. And who do you talk to? Uh, who, do you t- who do you take counsel from outside your subordinates at AIA, given that it's lonely being a CEO? Um, oh, so, you know, what, what I mean, it, I, I, yeah, it can be lonely, but actually that's because sometimes, you know, you, when you part, when I say responsibility and privilege, the responsibility does ultimately lie with you to make those tough calls or make decisions when, 
it, it needs to be made. Um, so that can be lonely, but actually I take advice from everyone. You know, one of the great things I've learned is uh, the power of presence. And so I can have a 30 second, if I can be present in a 30 second lift ride with one of my team or a stranger, I can get some great advice. It's amazing, right? It's everywhere. And, and lessons and heroes and angels are everywhere. You just got to be open to it. Um, and, but I have a great network around me, whether it's my, uh, my, my colleagues here, whether it's friends like, you know, and, you know, Colin, I'd classify you as a friend. I get advice for you told, you pulled me aside and said, Hey buddy, you need to slow down. We need you to be well and, and look after yourself because you've got a long road. We need. And so I take that counsel on board and I'm like, okay, cool. An angel came to me, gave me a message. I'm not going to be some arrogant idiot who just goes, Oh, whatever. And think you know i've got you know bill oh, my regional chief executive he picks up the phone and checks in with me and gives me those little nudges and those prompts and that hug when i need it and the kick when i need it my mum, she still rings me and tells me what to do and uh bailey and kai my nine-year-old and six-year-old um they definitely tell me what to do okay great well we're going to go to uh, questions from the audience in a moment and uh uh, and then we're going to spend the, the last 15 minutes of this hour uh, looking at the future and uh, what kind of world we want to create, what kind of world we want to step into and the leaders of the future, what characteristics they may require. But a couple of questions, I think super critical questions, Damien, um, that I'd like to track before we go there. How have you been coping with stress? Um, you know, I gather that's going to include things like family. It's going to include exercise. And also um, on our prep call, you told me that you like to cry a lot. Thank you, Colin. <laughs> I do like a good cry. I think it's very therapeutic and I'm very happy to admit it. In fact, uh, sometimes I watch uh, emotional moments on America's Got Talent or Australian Idol or whatever it might be or golden buzzer moments and, when, and the tears just flow because actually, you know what? I'm inspired by people who have a dream who have the belief in that dream, no matter what everyone's told them, who, you know, take the small or big step to take a chance and then get on with the work to, to see that dream through. And, um, you know, I sometimes send it around to some of the team as well and then, you know, share the crying. But um, uh, what have I been doing, Colin? Um, I've been two or three things really quickly. One, yeah, absolutely working on my, keeping up my physical um, uh, exercise, you know, I need that. That's a form of both physical and mental well-being for me. So keeping up my physical exercise, running, etc. Um, two, um, you know, setting little little challenges along the way. Um, three, connecting with people um, through the forms of communication we have now, um, and that is, you know, just doing little uh, teams drop-in or Zoom drop-ins, and not talking about work having little things like, you know, a joke off on, um, on the camera with a colleague. Uh, but Colin, I've been um, living life a lot slower and I've fallen in love with nature. I didn't know there were all these trees in, in, in Victoria. I didn't know there was this sky. Uh, I'm serious. And, you know, um, I've, I've been cooking cookies with Bailey going on a bike ride with the family. Oh my gosh. These are things that have just been uh, immensely beautiful gifts that um, I unfortunately, you know, I don't want to get melancholy because then I'll get upset thinking I've lived a very busy life and um, COVID has also given me a chance to live life a bit slower, even though I'm working amazing hours through Zoom. It's, it, there's been times where I can't now on the weekend go and do other things. So guess what? We're having family time. Good for you. <clears throat> well, we're going to uh, roll into some questions uh, from the audience. And, uh, and Damien, you'll be uh, the humble guy that you are. You'll be shocked by this. But we have uh, over 700 people uh, live online. And we already have uh, around uh, uh, 30, 30 something, 35 uh, questions for you. Um, and that's after we've screened out the, the ones that, um, uh, no, we haven't screened out anything. We're actually, uh, we actually, they've all been intelligent, great and, and, and respectful questions. But can I ask the first question um, from me? So I, I was uh, in preparing for this, um, I remembered um, uh, an incident, uh, which uh, I think was circa 15 years ago, uh, when I decided I want to make Damien Mew my friend. I thought, wow, what a cool guy. And um, <laughs> do you remember? You, you've got no idea, I'm sure, because we've never discussed it. Um, and he's no worry. 
Um, and so, um, and, the, and the moment was, uh, we were at the FFC, the Financial Services Council conference, of which you're now a director. Uh, I think you, you weren't CEO yet of AA. You were probably sneaking into the CEO cocktails incognito as the uh, number two or the general manager or somebody at the time of AIA. Um, and I was, uh, I was there in my role as a, as a, as a publisher and media guy. And uh, we'd become friends in that recent period. And there must have been, I don't know, 1,200 people at the conference. There was about 80 people in the CEO cocktails. 90% of them were men. Most of them were heterosexual men. I was one of the few gay men um, and, and one of the few gay men in the industry that, that had a profile and was quite out and comfortable with that. You came darting across that cocktails, um, um, and, you know, amongst a bunch of a bunch of your other colleagues and friends, came up to me, gave me a big hug and a kiss uh, and started chatting. And I thought in that moment how cool, and I don't think anyone probably took any notice or made any judgments, but to this day, I've always thought highly of you and thought, wow, what does it take for a, for a heterosexual male CEO to have that kind of comfortability in their masculinity, masculinity uh, presumably in their sexuality, uh, and also be so unselfconscious, which would enable you to be present. Um, but anyway, the good news for you, perhaps, or the bad news is that that's when I made my decision to make you my, my friend. Um, and uh, I'm just interested, though, in what had you be so comfortable in your own skin at that time? And what does that have to do with the kind of leader that you are, that you don't give time up for looking good or self-consciousness, and you are comfortable with your masculinity and your sexuality? Well, um that's a big question. One, firstly, thank you for making that decision because I've cherished our friendship and the challenges and the hugs and the laughs and the tears. Um, I think, Colin, I guess it goes back to what you said in childhood. I don't see anything but I see good and love, right? I don't want to, I mean, and if people can't be comfortable with that, bad luck. <laughs> you know what? Do the right thing. It's, it's not some of the time, it's all the time. And you know what? I love giving hugs and you were happy to receive one. So you were getting one and I don't really care what anyone else thought. You know why? That's their issue. I'm not hurting them. I love everyone, right? I respect everyone. And so, you know, I, I, I do remember it actually, Colin, you know why? Cause I think it was important that you felt comfortable in that room and others got a lesson because you know what leadership needs? It needs not just a head or just a heart. It needs a head and a heart. And, um, you know, we need to be comfortable in showing both sides. It isn't always about, sometimes it's important to have that intelligence and that, you know, the bring the head to the rational side of things. And other times in leadership, it's important to bring the heart to it. And you know what? That moment required a heart. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you for that moment. And thanks for the friendship and thanks for that answer just now. And uh, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Redefining Leadership, Episode 1 with Damien Mew, the CEO of Australia and New Zealand for AI Insurance. We're now moving to audience questions of which we're gonna have way too many uh, to be able to respond to. Uh, but respectfully, we'll give this session 15 minutes thereabouts, uh, try and give us some quick answers, Damien. And what we might do, uh, given there's so many questions, is um, we'll keep all the questions that we can't get to answering and we'll send them through to you, Damien. Um, and we'll uh, either get your private answers from Damien or we'll publish uh, responses on uh, Investment Magazine online and Professional Planner online. Uh, the first question I have for you is from Brendan Casey, who was with Rest Super. How do you balance, at times, the competing dynamic of delivering business outcomes whilst caring for your team? Thanks, Brendan. Great question. Yeah, it's not. It's it, it is a it is a challenge, but that's where I think it's about bringing it into your consciousness, right, um, and getting a very clear understanding of, uh, I guess, for me the 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 way it ladders up or the hierarchy and you know so we've got at AA what we called when COVID came along within the first two weeks we developed a uh, uh, COVID response plan as any good leadership team would and task force together and we called it survive revive thrive and the three elements of that were recognizing that the first important thing was our staff engagement and well-being because without the team we couldn't get to the second one because it's all about our people. The second one was about our business continuity and how we were going to continue to provide the essential services to Australians and the New Zealanders and their families when they need it most. And then the third one was the exciting part about reimagining life. But what we wanted to do was connect that plan to the feeling and the emotion, which is actually right now, people are just thinking about survival, right? So we need to help people survive and give them clarity and certainty. So 
um, before we think about reviving and we're going to be in revive for a long time before we move to to thrive which is where we get to reimagine some fun stuff and come forward to life but it, there is you know the business results and the people um uh component are just completely interdependent um so that doesn't mean that you're not making some difficult decisions around people right this is not just a you know as i said it's the care and the demanding and we need to make sure that we're supporting our people to be the best that they can be and making sure that they are well first and supported but sometimes you know there are decisions around people that need to be made where it may not be the right fit the right role the right values connection and you've got to make those decisions if, and that that because that too will impact business results just as quickly as not caring for your team so people first and that's about making the right decisions whatever they may be all right let's play um hard quiz now we're going to have some really fast questions with some really fast answers if you can We've got Cecilia Stuninado. It's not all. I'm sorry, I, I mispronounced Cecilia, your last name. Yeah, I know Cecilia. There you go. It's asking, what is your view on why there are no female life company CEOs in Australia? Um, so that's a great, great question. I think you know we have had some great female CEOs in leaders in life insurance who are good friends of mine, and we do actually because Megan Beer is the CEO, was the CEO of AMP Life, and now the CEO of Resolution Life, a good friend. Um, but we had um, Deanne Stewart, who left MetLife as CEO to go on to become the first state CEO. Um, and um, Helen Tripp, who was CEO of Cominshaw and another good friend of mine and previously CEO of um, Swiss Re, but obviously when we merged, um, I acquired Cominshaw and, um, um, you know, I ended up taking over from there. But um, the, the, I, 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 when I look at it, I don't, I don't have a specific answer. What we've had is, you know, our chair of our board is, Theresa Gatung, we've got 50% representation or 60% on the board. Um, the executive team previously was 60%. Now we've got a merge team, so we're still working through that. Our AIA New Zealand executive team is 60%. I mean, so hopefully that means that there'll be future uh, uh, future uh, women who come into those roles. But um, uh, I've seen some fantastic women CEOs of uh, life insurance companies and you know they've been exactly what we've just described about leadership, having both the, the head and the heart. Next question for you, um, Damien, uh, how do you help aspiring leaders develop the depth of skills that you have as a strong leader? Ooh, um, so I think uh, what I like to do is think of things in terms of uh, there's knowledge um, and, and experience come together to, you know, inform your intuition, which gives you your wisdom. So I like experiential learning. So what I like to do is help people to have, yes, let's do all the, the, the great courses we can and, and so on, but really get into experiential learning. So we have things like the CEO Think Tank where people come together and get opportunities to to work on um, business problems in, in, in cross-functional teams and, and get the experience they otherwise wouldn't, but also putting people into different experiences um, in, in the work environment that may not be their, their full-time job so they can grow that knowledge, uh, but also um, experience it, which is where I think it comes together. So, you know, um, as I said, though, developing a reflective learning because there's those things others can do for you, but what you can do for yourself is just as important and taking ownership for your own outcomes. I always tell my team, you know, it's really incumbent on AAA and the executive team and myself to create the most conducive environment for you to be successful, but never outsource your happiness, your career, your development entirely to anyone else. You've got to do the things that are in your control as well. So, you know, as I said before, one of my big ones is been, is, is building in a reflect, reflection skill um, and, um, you know, really going through and uh, thinking about what I learned and how and what I want to bring forward from those experiences into the future. Please keep asking your questions, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll refresh your page if you need to. The, the box is on the right-hand side. Uh, please provide your name and organisation also. Uh, we are going to prioritise uh, asking questions where we are, uh, where it's not anonymous. Uh, so please give your name and organisation. Um, and for those questions that we run out of time to answer and deal with today, we'll keep a record of them. And uh, Damien, are you happy to answer those and we'll get back to uh, publish those answers in due course? Absolutely. But I've got to ask a question, Colin. Surely the biggest question is uh, what's going on with his hair and what was that email, what was the, the computer graphic image that Colin put on that on the email that went out that looked like I had some good good spray on happening? Um, yeah, okay, we're going to pass on those two questions. We've got too many substantial <laughs> questions to deal with. Uh, Graham okay. Russell, the CEO of Media Super, has asked Damien, 
Um, how is it that we can embrace leaders from immigrant backgrounds? Um, that includes uh, premiers, uh, he's listed here in um, Queensland and New South Wales right now, but not similarly embrace leaders in Australia's First Nations. What can we do to open our eyes to the 60,000 years of rich cultural history uh, that is right here before our very eyes? Thank you, Graham Russell, CEO of Media Super for that question. Damien? Yeah. Yeah, Graham, it's oh, what a what a fantastic question and, and a challenging one to be able to answer in the sense of we need to do more and, and and we need to continue to look at what programs we have for our own in our own backyard as opposed to always also looking in, in other backyards. And right now, as you say, what we have is a phenomenal uh, uh, culture and and um, and and history that we can bring forward because you're right. Uh, I've I've spent uh, time looking at different forms of leadership, and one of the uh, one of the ones from uh, our indigenous community around care within the community and how they look out for one another and how they play roles to support one another. And I think there's lots of roles we can bring into, lots of lessons we can bring into leadership here, um, which is about, as I've mentioned, a community spirit uh, working together towards a common outcome. But I don't I. I think you know we've got to continue to make sure that we. I think sometimes what happens um, unintentionally, we get a bit complacent. We put a few programs in place and think, oh great, those programs will take care of themselves. It's like anything when we plant the seeds, we've got to continue watering them, continue watering them, and nurturing them, and, and making sure they grow. And so I think we need to continue to make sure that we're looking at what uh, we can do to embrace that. But for me, diversity and inclusion is is a non-negotiable. In fact. It's one of our belief systems here um, that we cannot be successful on our dream and our purpose if we don't um, um, embrace diversity and inclusion. I'm going to ask an anonymous question here uh, because it's such a, a special question, um, but please in the future, everyone, give us your real name and organization. Hi, Damien. I've always been inspired by your vulnerability. Questions about when leading with, when tough decisions need to be made. The insurance industry is facing some very tough times, economically and politically. How do you lead your teams through tough decisions like premium increases? Yeah, it is not it is not easy, and you've got to actually go back and and uh, I think the most important part is acknowledging and taking the lessons of what has gone on to be able to understand what what did we do that maybe we could have done better, but also how do we do this in a way that is demonstrating the care and empathy uh, that needs to be placed. So I think you know vulnerability is absolutely right. You know, we've got this thing going on um, across AAA right now where we talk about the two words to describe how we're feeling because the first word we normally talk say is good and um, and then we move on. But actually, um, uh, the two words I put down today at the start of the day were vulnerable and hopeful. And, um, you know, I think uh, being vulnerable is, is a really important uh, uh, feeling to acknowledge and embrace because it helps you to make good decisions and helps you to get beneath the head and down into the other parts of your uh, your uh, your your value system around your heart, your gut, to be able to help you inform it. So, what do I do around premium increases? What we do is look at it and go, right, this was the claims experience, but what did we do around um, potentially uh, the product designs that we have, the programs we have to help people um, get back to work, get get healthy again, and how do we design these into the future to try and minimise that, and then also go out with um, you know other offers to support people um, rather than than just cancelling their cover because the premiums have gone up. But I think you know what you if we're specifically asking around what we've seen in the insurance market, disability income benefits has not been positive. I mean the increases across the market have been year on year in line with the experience, and now we're at an important juncture where we have to acknowledge you know, um, and be vulnerable and acknowledge our responsibility of what we did unintentionally maybe to design those uh, products to serve a need but have not got it right and therefore um, has resulted in premium increases. So I think it's about balancing those out um, and making sure we have other options for our customers to be able to, to not just go out with an increase but other options that they can take up as well. We've got uh, only around 10 minutes left. Can you believe it? We're already 50 minutes into this program. And uh, again, many questions left over that we will uh, come back to you all uh, after Damien answers them privately. Uh, Damien, one last question, which may leave us a little bit sad, but then we've got three very uplifting uh, questions to close out on uh, about the future. Uh, when we were prepping for this call, uh, you described that you've been uh, mourning, uh, grieving, in fact, is the word you used, for 
uh, the COVID-19 experience. So the environment that we've been in for the last four or five months and use the word grieving, um, what have you been grieving that we've lost? And what are you missing uh, or, or thinking that may never return? Uh, but also maybe on the flip side of that, what are the silver linings? What do you think is, is the new world order that could be very positive and constructive on the other side of this? Yeah, thanks, Colin. I think that's, they're right, they are connected. And I think we are collectively grieving because, you know, we, we were living our life that we had and then suddenly that life was changed overnight and we, you know, do it, we lost things like some of our freedom to be able to go out and do certain things, to travel, to whatever, those, those easy things to identify. But actually part of it is also grieving. Um, I'll share this very openly. Grieving... Um, the past and a very busy life that maybe, you know, I woke up and go, wow, was, did I get all of that right? <laughs> you know, did I, maybe could I... So you're actually grieving that you might have screwed up a lot about the way you were living your life and wasted some time well, and kind of done a lot of things on autopilot and remote. And so it's kind of like, why was I wasting time like that versus a slower, quieter, yeah. more sensible life that you've now discovered by default? Is that what we're saying? Partly, Colin. Yeah, you may be describing it differently. I don't. I don't sort of think of it like in, in those uh, some of those terms. I think of it as, well, maybe I could have lived life a little bit slower. Maybe I didn't need to do 150 flights a year. Maybe I didn't need to do all those uh, meetings. Maybe I could have gone home and spent a bit more time with the family. Maybe I could have taken better care of myself. Maybe I could have used my five senses to do more than look at a screen, touch a keypad, listen to a phone call. Maybe I could have gone out to nature and seen some beautiful trees touched lucky you're so young and you can still um, do all that stuff, huh lucky you're so yeah, young and you can still this, do all that stuff. well it's it's, it's, not, it's it, you're never too old colin this is that's just a, a number thing life is about the next moment right so i don't sit there and wallow what i acknowledge is that i was grieving something what was i grieving i was grieving that i wasn't taking and appreciating certain things in my life that were there right in front of me and before and now i've got a chance to as you say silver lining take that forward so you know what, I'm not going to go back to 150 flights a year. I will travel a lot for work and I will travel to see the world, but I'm not going to do 150 flights a year. Um, I'm going to take it a little bit easier and I'm going to be more effective in doing so and have better impact. I'm going to continue to cook more with Bailey because she's creative and she loves it. My little backpack. She's my, my daughter who's nine. And Kai, you know, we're going to continue doing Ninja Warrior course in the backyard and getting his six-year-old energy out there and create great memories together. And I'm going to get up and have an attitude of gratitude for what I have every day. Because you know what? When, even in stage three lockdown in Victoria, I can still go for a walk. I have my health. I have 3,400 amazing people across the Army of Mad at AIA. And I'm part of the AIA group, which has 20,000 amazing family members who are all committed to healthier, longer, better lives. So what excites you now about the future? We've talked a few of those things just now, but working from home, digital communication, having potentially more geographic and ethnic workforces in Australia and around the world. I mean, I'd throw those out as some of the things that might be things to be excited about after we move through this COVID period, which is presumably going to be another couple of years, let's be honest. What excites you, Damien? Those things and more maybe? Colin, I'm not someone who needs a lot to get excited. As you know, I'm always passionate and excited. So... I'm trying to just curve my enthusiasm a little bit, but uh, the reality is there's many things, Colin. So I think for the first time, let me start at a macro level, you know, despite what we might want to say about leadership and whether it's good or bad around the globe, we have a, for the first time, humans are me, we, right? We are coming together collectively to, in, in a fight for healthier, longer, better lives to take on um, and, and be together as one on that. And you know what? We'll do that without leaders, if the leadership, if we have to. So that's been a great thing. It's been great to see even today going out for a walk and seeing Victorians wearing their masks, not because they want to wear a mask because it's comfortable and looks good. It's because they're doing it for the collective. So what a beautiful thing that we can bring forward, you know, put some of our differences aside and come, come together as a collective. I'm excited about what that affords. I'm excited about um, the future ways of working, but I will caution this, survive, revive, thrive. We cannot 
get caught up in the euphoria of a moment and think that this is the new norm. The new norm, to your point, Colin, is not there yet. We're still going to be in the revive stage for a while, right? I mean, the novelty of working from home quickly drained for many, okay? It went from being, oh, this is cool, to actually, I need some connection. I need to be able to see people. While I don't want to be in the office full time, I still need to be able to connect. I would like to get there some days of the week. So I think one of the most exciting opportunities is to redesign and reimagine the future of work and how we create more empowerment, more engagement, more flexibility for people. But but I do want us to think about doing that in a considered manner so that we can provide a sustainable future way of working, not just you know, I think, you know, as I said to you, human behavior, we jump at, jump at the first bit of candy and then we go, oh, sorry, that doesn't work and we take it away. That would, that would be really disappointing. How do we just, you know, go slow to go fast and that's coming from me. But I think that's one of the most exciting things. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly at this last uh, 58 minutes, Damien, and, and, and uh, uh, as you being our first uh, guinea pig guest on this program to try and make a difference in having people think differently and redefining leadership, rethinking leadership, if you like. I guess my, my summation, it sounds like, would be uh, maybe more empathy, maybe compassion, maybe vulnerability, uh, maybe uh, looking forward to a, all kinds of new futures that we hadn't expected and hadn't prepared for. Um, are there any other items you'd like to add to that laundry list of what redefining leadership may look like from your perspective and how you'd like to guide the next generation of leaders much younger than even your young self? Yeah, look, I think it has to be authentic and everyone, I mean, that everyone needs to be their own special self in, in bringing that, that leadership to life, right? It's not about being Colin, Damien or anyone else. It's about being the best leader they can be um, coming from their, 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 their own um, sense of uh, heart, head, et cetera. But what I would say is, um, you know, you missed a very important word there, Colin, which is, it's, it's don't be fearful to say the word love. Love and people, love for others is, is a good thing, right? Um, having um, a leadership that, that loves rather than hates is what we need right now, right? That, and love is not weakness. You know, people think, oh, that's stop. No, remember caring and demanding, right? You know, love is about being caring and demanding. Love is about making the tough decisions when they need to be made, but it's showing the compassion when it needs to be made. So I would just say, I would want people to dream big around um, being relentlessly hopeful, okay? Hope is optimism grounded in truth and fact. And my hope is that we can bring forward a genuine uh, care for one another, our community, our world, um, to make it a better place. And I don't, I don't care what anyone says, I'm gonna continue to live my life that way. Well, I can see you in, uh, in politics and uh, many other places one day, perhaps post uh, the world of financial services and AIA and insurance. But have you, uh, you're probably too young to think about retirement or even legacies, but have you? Oh, uh, I, I, I just actually, Colin, you know, one of the things I've been, uh, Sir John Kerwin, who's a friend and we partnered with on Mentimere, he said, you know, uh, don't get distracted by the lion in the bushes while you're eating the grass. So really what I'm trying to say is uh, right now, I'm just focused on doing the best I can um, and to fulfill and honor the privilege and responsibility I have as a, a leader, as a father, as a son, as a husband, as a friend. I just want to be the best I can be right now and focus on that and you know, trust that uh, the rest of it will take care of itself. But I, I intend, we're, I'm hoping we leave a great legacy for many generations to come by helping Australians and New Zealanders to make small steps around their health and wellbeing that will be enduring, right? You know, that's, that's oh, wow, if we can just get repurpose people around the dream of a healthier, longer, better life by just pushing it the first 10 meters and the rest of the world can come along and push it over the line, I'm happy with that. So I'll leave a, a, um, Damien on the screen for the, for the rest of this uh, closeout. Um, thanks, uh, our director, Ben. Uh, I just want uh, you to hear a couple of things here, Damien. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, thanks for your always, uh, you know, empowering and, and supportive, uh, enlightening uh, spirit. Your encouragement is amazing uh, across uh, not just your workforce, but your leadership in the industry and to, um, to the many friends of which I, I, I call myself one. And I'm proud to be so. Um, we, um, 
we uh, have um, so many unanswered questions, but uh, we'll get those questions to you and get those responded. Uh, believe it or not, we are out of time. For those who would like to hear more from Damien Mew, uh, very soon with Connexus Financial once again, we are holding our annual Group Insurance Summit. Uh, that will be in digital format. Uh, you can see the dates in front of you. Uh, it's uh, going to be 18 August from 9am till midday. And again, later in the year on November 12, Damien will feature on that first session on 18 August. So please join us for that. Uh, the next episode of Redefining Leadership, and I hope you've been left inspired out of today with perhaps at least uh, a feeling that not all is lost. Uh, there are leaders out there who are powerful and trying to make a difference um, in this very, very confusing, messed up and confronting world, not just COVID-19. Uh, that's kind of like now become the tip of the iceberg, the economic issues, the social unrest, the distress all around the world, uh, the unemployment levels. There's so many things to contend with. Um, and you need to be a superhuman, I would argue, um, in, in, in any, any sphere to actually be a leader. But we're going to try and uncover some of those special leadership qualities of what the future leader may look like. And I think Damien has shared some of those today uh, and hopefully they will resonate with you and hopefully the hour you've just spent with us now has been uh, a good investment of your time. Our next episode, oh, and I'm sorry, um, this is available to you on playback. There's, it's complimentary free of charge uh, on the Professional Planner website or on the Investment Magazine website. You, your family, your friends, your work colleagues can play this back, listen, pass it around, please share it um, and, uh, and it's free. Uh, further to that, our next episode, uh, you'll be pleased to know, uh, Damien, uh, is actually David Gonski. Uh, David Gonski will join us uh, for an hour on the 25th of August at 4.30pm. Uh, there's a slide up in front of you now, Stewardship in a Crisis. David Gonski, a household name across Australia, uh, and he will join us again, a free episode. Uh, and uh, then we have many special guests between now and the end of the year. The program is all set. Uh, it includes people like Shane Fitzsimmons, who ran the fire effort as the Commissioner of New South Wales Fire throughout the worst fire season over the summer just past here in New South Wales. Shane will be joining us on this series. We have Kerry Kennedy joining us on this series. The Bobby, Bobby Kennedy, uh, uh, his daughter and President of Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Foundation, she'll be joining us for an interactive session like this just before the US election to discuss the Trump-Biden election, but more importantly, the race issues and the tensions and social unrest in the United States right now and around the world and what we can do about that. We have Dr. Vivian Ming, uh, one of the most crazy intelligent people I've ever met. Uh, she's a global leader in, in artificial intelligence, has an investment in seven different businesses in Silicon Valley, has a PhD, teaches at a couple of universities and a super fascinating human being. She will also be joining us. And we also have Professor Nordhaus joining us. Uh, Professor Nordhaus is the only human in the world to have received a Nobel Laureate for climate science. I'm hoping that now we've dealt with COVID-19, maybe one of the next challenges in the world will be to listen to the scientists on climate and we'll be chatting to him also. He's from Yale University. There's just a few teasers of what's coming up. Damien, thank you so much. Did you enjoy that session? Yeah, Colin, thank you so much. Very humbled to be um, asked to be a part of it and happy to do so. And I hope I've um, given some little rays of hope to people. But I just wanted to congratulate you personally for um, putting on this series to uh, for people to uh, be able to listen in and, and hopefully get some uh, what I call food for the soul um, from uh, others around their leadership and uh, and to Connexus for putting us on. So congratulations, because that's a, that, that is great leadership with great empathy. And uh, here's a little picture for you. This is these are my little ones. That's Bailey. Oh, that's Kai. Kai. Yeah, there they are. Kai, so, no, we can't see Kai. Move Kai in. Kai's bring oh. Kai up again. Yeah, there's Kai. He's my little man. Where's your wife, Simone? Where's the picture of Simone? Your wife, let's get a, a, a look in. Yeah, of course. Although, we're actually three or four minutes out of time, which is not that minute. We should uh, be running these to exactly one hour. Damien, thank you. I appreciate your time and your generosity, um, and thanks for being part of this. So thanks to Damien Mew. Last, uh, lastly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as, as CEO and founder of Connexus Financial, my name is Colin Tate. This is Redefining Leadership, Episode 1, Ensuring Dignity. I look forward to seeing you next time in August. Thanks for supporting our business. And most importantly, keep safe and well. Thank you and good afternoon.